0: Hello, and welcome to the first ever Aqueduct podcast, Quality Time with Rick and Rob. We're your hosts. I'm Rick Beaupre, Solutions Architect.
1: And I'm Rob DeLeon, Director of Solution Development. So thank you for joining us today. We have an exciting first episode. We'll be discussing Aqueduct Technologies, how the company got started, and we'll transition to our segment, Let's Talk About It it being capitalized for IT, uh, where we're going to answer any of your questions while trying tacos from new and exciting places in the area. But before we get started, Rick, I know it took a lot to get here. You are a podcast aficionado. Uh, You have been certainly stepping up your game and getting ready for this podcast. You want to talk about your setup?
0: Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Yeah, I do love podcasts between uh, all the ones that I listen to and then even just getting ready for this, um, learning how to set it up. Um, When I first started in the setup, I had just a really quick USB microphone and realized, right away that that wasn't gonna cut it because voice quality is everything. So um, I actually stepped up my game, uh, still USB, but I went up to the HyperX Quadcast, um, which has multiple settings on it, condenser microphone that can hone in your voice quality pretty good. Uh, from there, I went from a standard headset into a monitoring system so I can hear myself in one ear and then what's being recorded in another. and um, it's able to uh, connect to multiple sound sources at the same time. So uh, pretty exciting. I'm actually on a first name basis with my Amazon guy now, (laughs) especially if we go into the video portion of it. Because as you know, we've been doing a lot of WebExes and Zoom meetings. So uh, being on camera a lot, you know, I wanted to have good lighting and to, you know, bring our A-game to show the professionalism that we show in person via the WebEx and the Zoom meetings.
1: Yeah. See, I thought I was in your realm because I bought a couple of lights and I I upped the lighting game for myself. I got what I thought was a great mic. And then I was watching television one day and they had Wayne Brady remote from his live studio. And you guys actually have the same (laughs) mic. And, And I'm talking Wayne Brady, like the most talented person possibly in the world and Rick have the same mic. So when I tell the listeners that Rick is ready for this, I I think it's no understatement. Yeah, I am ready to go. I'm so excited about this. So our first guest, the perfect guest for our first episode, is Monica Lawalia, our founder and CEO. So as we go about the experience of starting this podcast, obviously somebody that knows a little bit about starting things up, uh, Monic, our, our founder, is going to go through what it was like in the early days of Aqueduct. He's got some some funny stories, uh, and I know just being here myself for the last seven years, we've certainly seen how Monic has kept the company together through some some interesting times, as well as steered us towards record growth and all sorts of awards. So, uh, you know, I'm very excited to hear how he's done that and hear some of the the stories that he has to share from those early days
0: perfect so without further ado uh, let's welcome monic um thanks for joining us today how are you
2: good rick how about yourself thanks for having me today
1: so monic we've got a couple of questions for you today uh i think the first one is is the obvious Uh, what led you to start aqueduct Uh, how, how did aqueduct come about
2: It's a good question. Um, you know, if I look at the origins of the organization, you know, we were finding that the cloud uh, in its infancy, you know, almost uh, 10 years ago now was something that was gonna be relatively revolutionary to our customers. It was going to change the mindset of how they consumed and acquired technology. And they were going to be able to buy technology to immediately serve some very specific business and technology needs. Um, You know, looking at all of that and kind of where that model was headed and talking to uh, customers and and contacts that I had in industry, saw a real business model developing there and really being able to focus on helping organizations embrace the cloud, as well as to ensure that they were going to be able to reliably use the cloud. So that's a lot of the inception of, you know, the market opportunity we saw and kind of where we went. Um, At the time, the market was very saturated with traditional manufacturing reseller partners, you know, kind of the value added reseller model. And there was this new um, emerging type of partner out there called a cloud aggregator. And the thought process was very similarly as you would develop and design and build solutions with best-of-breed manufacturers and then provide some services and resale capabilities around that, there would be a similar opportunity available in the public cloud. Um, And it would be something that would be relatively low um, capital investments to get into. And it was going to be a need that our customers would have. So we already had the pedigree and the awareness of how to be a really good VAR. Uh, this, this seemed to be a really nice natural extension into a high growth market um, where we would already have some level of a customer base that would want it, as well as a background into how to design and deliver those type of solutions. So that's, that's what led um, to the business model and led to the launch of the organization. I think um, outside of that, you know, I think there were some professional and personal inflection points that were taking place, you know, having a young family and, and not wanting to be on the road uh, all the time in a way um you know looking at kind of the state of the old organization i was in there was a lot of compelling factors of what led to the launch of aqueduct but ultimately it was the business model was sound and uh, and we saw an opportunity there
1: very interesting now why aqueduct why why did we choose the name aqueduct
2: without getting super fancy about it there was three compelling reasons and two of them you'd probably laugh at i think number 1 Uh, was I had to find a domain name that wasn't taken and that's not an easy thing to do. Um, I think number two, uh, especially 10 years ago, before Google AdWords and keywords and everything else were found, things were sorted alphabetical. So I was trying to find something that actually started with the letter A that would make sense. And again, I could get a domain name for, so that as people search for it, we would be at the top of the list. Um, Aqueduct itself though, I think really lent into what we were trying to build. Uh, We had viewed that an aqueduct in general really connected an organization or a community into specific resources that were extremely valuable to them that they would consume. Um, So even if you look back to ancient Roman times, these aqueducts really became the conduit or the waterway to connect your community to the water supply or the cloud that was coming from the mountains. And in order to do it well, you needed to have sound underlying infrastructure, right? The plumbing, you needed to have a reliable transport media to communicate or to connect you from your community to that specific service or cloud or water. And then you need to understand the best place to go and get that water uh, for your community. So the name um, by itself, which isn't directly technology aligned, had a lot of um, similarities into what we were trying to accomplish and the analogies that kind of came along with it.
1: Now that's a great answer. So some some background for me: I've been here for over seven years now. So I've heard that story before, but when I try to explain it using ancient Roman conversation starters, uh, it doesn't go as well. So I think people will be very interested to to hear that. Um, when when you first started Aqueduct, um, were there any challenges getting it off the ground? Any uh, points in time that you thought maybe this wasn't going to work? What were some of the initial challenges you encountered?
2: Yeah. Some of them were pretty basic. I think we came to find that the reason most people hadn't named their company Aqueduct was many people spelled it wrong. Um, so there was a little bit of the the marketing spin on that. And then the name itself, without having to explain it, really didn't lend into a technology company. So I think there was a little bit of a brand misalignment out of the gate, but it wasn't a big deal, but it was just something of interesting things that we, uh, we, we dealt with. I think what's interesting, and probably with every entrepreneur, every startup, is that you have this vision of uh of what's going to sell and really what's going to help you explode right out of the gate with Uh, and then you take it to market and the people that you take it to market with they're typically trusted advisors or partners or people that you've worked with in the past um and you start figuring out from them if they're going to be able to buy what you're selling and if they're not you may need to pivot right that's just the reality of uh uh of, of any business which you know when you go from paper to execution you've got to get some revenue flowing uh, what we found was that the business model that aqueduct was built upon was viable that everybody wanted to talk about it everybody saw the cloud as a uh, as a real strong component of their go forward strategy um but they were in a very early infancy phase of trying to understand what it was and trying to align that to the next one two to three years as a startup You don't have one, two or three years to to wait for that market to develop. You need to find initial revenue. So we ended up pivoting into being a little bit more of a full service solutions provider and being able to do a lot of the underlying infrastructure, the professional services, the operational support services, and then hybriding that to the cloud. So having that as part of our core DNA and our strategy was very helpful because over the next two to three years, it became the primary go to market strategy for us. It became our differentiator. It's still a huge component of who we are today as a hybrid organization. And frankly, most of the manufacturing and business partners we work with eight years ago are more than likely morphed into some type of a cloud software subscription provider today. but nonetheless, it required us to almost take three steps forward and then a step backwards to become a little bit more of what I would call legacy because ultimately it was what people were buying and it was historically what they had known myself and other individuals that had started the company for. and that's really what got us up and running uh, and then from there we were able to start executing as the business grew and matured into more of what we originally assumed, which would be a cloud enabler for many of our customers. gotcha
1: and, and I definitely think you know you're you're definitely touching on. A few things that our listeners would want to know about our services. You know, certainly now we have a very uh, depth of offerings around uh, cloud, around carrier services, collaboration, network security, uh, data center, um, both from a storage as well as a physical location standpoint. Um, how has that changed over time? What's what's driven that and um, you know, how does that compare versus how Aqueduct started?
2: Good question. So if I look at what people were doing eight years ago, they were primarily an on-premise world. They were buying their own infrastructure, they were buying their own servers, they were deploying their own applications, and then they were supporting them. I think Salesforce.com was probably the first major foray for most organizations to start looking at SaaS and the cloud as being an alternative to a Um, a a buy, a manage, and then an evolve type of strategy. And I think that was a very successful project. That CRM world was a very successful project for most companies. And they started to make more and more investments into looking at where the cloud could jump in from a SaaS perspective. I think the infrastructure world, um, which was typically a set it and forget it uh, model, also started to see that they couldn't keep up with the sheer amount of devices and end user expectations or potentially security. And we started to see very specific niches start developing. I think security was probably the first one where if it was an email proxy, if it was some type of an email resiliency platform, if it was content filtering, these started to become, hey, maybe we should check out the cloud for these first. I think those were the first type of infrastructure oriented services that we saw, um, you know, move from the on-prem world into the cloud world. Still a very small segment of of our overall revenue, in those first couple of years i think it was a lot more around mindshare around what we were seeing And we spent a lot of time with our customers talking about future trends and then helping them kind of time when it would be viable when they wouldn't be the earliest adopters and when it would probably fit into their overall strategy and a lot of times that's still going to be tied back to their comfort level and their depreciation cycle of what they had on premise um, i think probably about five years ago we saw a big shift uh, that we bought into very quickly Around still consuming and buying infrastructure on premise, just the way that you normally would have, but the actual management and the and the uh, updates for those platforms, the iOS updates, the application updates, were starting to move to the clouds. We all of a sudden saw a, a you know almost a disaggregation of that type of technology. So you'd still buy what you needed on premise for your ports, your speed, your feeds, but instead of having to manage that as multiple entities, you could do it in a consolidated centralized way where you would inherently have one console for monitoring, one console for administration, and one console for change management. Um, the one technology that we saw very early on that could do that well and at scale was Meraki, uh, which Cisco happened to acquire right around that time. And we saw a an explosion of our own growth, uh, coupled with Cisco's, and really early on in that shift toward Um, cloudifying infrastructure. Fast forward two, three years later from that, almost every infrastructure solution that we sold had moved into a software defined or modernized version of it. And we were quickly uh, elevating our own capabilities as well as accelerating with our customers, the ability for them to consume more of those modernized technologies. But the difference for us was we had already had five years of experience around how those technologies were designed, delivered, and where they provided the most business value. We also understood that the value of those solutions were not about the first time you bought it and and put it in, but the ongoing adoption, usage, and tuning and customization of those platforms to your business. We had a real good head start there. And I think today about 80% of what we sell is hybrid in some shape or form. Um, But the underlying, you know, vision of what we wanted to be when we first started the company really pointed us in the direction we would end up there. I think we just ended up there a little bit faster. And I'd say COVID has probably accelerated even more as more and more organizations are not in an office and a cloud-based solution just makes a lot more sense for them to make future investments in.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer, Monique. You know, what I find compelling is we use most of the technology we resell at Aqueduct. Do you feel it's important for a company to do that? Or for us, did it just happen by coincidence?
2: You know, I think, you know, eating your own dog food is important. Um, But let me first state with, you know, we don't represent everybody. We're not a catalog company, we've typically gone to market, identified a specific business or technology need. We're a technology service provider. So almost every organization has a a set of, uh, you know, technology needs that are pretty universal. And we want to make sure that we could bring the the best technologies to market to address those needs for customers. Ultimately, if we're coming to that realization ourselves, we're more than likely want to be a consumer of that technology as well. So I think being a consumer of it is by the nature of the fact that we really do think it brings the best solution to the market. And therefore, we should use it ourselves, as well as the fact that we're going to be recommending that to our customers. The fact that we use it, I think, makes us much more adept to really be able to talk about the experience of using these technologies how to adopt it, how to think about it, where it becomes the most business relevant, having the entire organization top to bottom, be able to speak to it, even if you're not a technologist, and then really be able to show a customer the value creation we get out of those solutions and how that could align to their specific needs. So I think it's very important um, across the board you know, to be able to really stand up and say what we're recommending for you. Not only are we a champion of it, but we're also a consumer and it was a great decision, and it helps us even re- reinforce the fact that those decisions are viable and valid as we go out to customers and, frankly, give them our service guarantee behind it. We know it's going to work because it's working for us.
0: Yeah, I think the experience of helping customers through those technology challenges uh, has been great, uh, You know, especially what we've learned less- from Lessons Learned on our part and you know, Lessons Learned on, on helping other customers.
1: So I'm looking from a human perspective uh monic and now i've got some good stories of the early days of of aqueduct whether that be um you unplugging a blender at, at uno's during march madness to charge your laptop um but uh do you have any funny interesting stories from the early days of aqueduct that uh it gives gives an identity to to the listeners
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I do remember that day at March Madness. And I do want to say in my defense, they had 12 blenders plugged in. And we were the only people at that section of the bar because it was noon. And we went there to finish a presentation and watch March Madness. So it wasn't that we shut the restaurant down, just just to clarify on that one. Um, You know, what's funny is the company launched January 1st, 2012. Prior to that, there was a lot of busy work Right. You'd have we'd have the legal filings to get the LLC up and running, getting the banking and financing and credit facilities up and running, the initial website, you know, all these little things that go into a ton of busy work that people don't realize but needs to get done. And I remember on, you know, we celebrated New Year's on January first, and then January 2nd hit, and all that busy work had been done, and now we had a company. And I remember looking around saying, I think we're supposed to pick up the phone now and call somebody to see if they want to buy anything from us. Right. It's it's (laughs) almost like you you don't really know what to do on that day one. Um, You know, and day one's out of our garage. You don't have an office. You're at your house. Um, You know, you know, you're you're a road warrior at that time. You know, everybody wasn't as virtual and on cell phones. So, you know, it, it was kind of just an interesting. Now we're here. Now what? I remember that very vividly. For that first couple of weeks, um, you know, I remember when you know, you'd call a customer, and they'd say, call you back in three weeks. If they happen to pick up the phone, you'd be like, what am I going to do for the next three weeks now? Right. You didn't have a business flowing yet. You were trying to get it established. So there was a lot of that in the, the early days. Um, obviously, uh, fiduciarily, uh, you were you were very cautious. You know, I remember we'd make decisions around, you know, not wanting to get wall mounted TVs because they cost three hundred dollars extra. Right. It's just the things that you deal with in those first couple of months. Are very different. You know, we had a very entrepreneurial, family-oriented environment. And our first get together, I think, was uh, hot dogs at my house. Right, that was our first summer outing. So, I almost it seems so long ago, but yet it's not that long ago on a calendar that that was our world. Um, so, I have very very fond memories of just you know that first year, that first two years. Um, you know, we had a very small organization from a personnel perspective. You know, I remember that I used to do invoicing from four to five o'clock and lick envelopes, put them in the mail and send them out. And then it got too much. And, you know, then it became a weekend thing. And then I had the kids, paid them a dollar to put stamps and everything and put it in the mailbox. And then we eventually needed a controller, right? So those first couple of hires as well, you know, are interesting for me because it wasn't so much that we knew we needed one. You always need one. We just don't have the cash to pay for it. It's, it was, when do you finally get to a point where, you can't do your revenue generating activities because you need somebody to take the workload off and then at some point in time you're looking at it more from a perspective of how can i find someone that can do this job much better than i can so i can stop doing it and focus on the parts of the business that i can be much better and more involved in so that's a lot of those you know first year um you know i go back and look at pictures all the time you know i don't know how much we want to flout um you know things we've done you know i remember very vividly that um, you know we got a call from a local publication that had heard great things about us, and they wanted to feature us on um you know uh, an up and coming business and one that had really cracked the cloud strategy. And they said, we're going to be sending a camera crew out to your office. And we didn't have an office. We had a uh, a rental space at a Regis in a Burlington, and I'd asked them if it would make more sense to maybe do it at my business partner's office, which was Cisco, and, and said, maybe we can you know walk through some demonstration capabilities. We've got a very tight alignment there. And they said, "Sure." And then around two o'clock, they said, "You know we um we still want to come to your office and just get some video shots in there." And I said, all right we we don't really like visitors in our office until five o'clock, so we can do it after five o'clock. I was hoping they had to catch a flight home and um, you know maybe just skip it and we could send them some video pictures or stills of, of the environment." And they said, "No, nope, no problem. We'll be there around five o'clock." And I remember calling Matt Guerrera and a couple of the other guys in the office and saying, um, they are coming." you guys got to figure out how to make this look like our office. (laughs) And I remember, you know, they had um, at five o'clock, the main receptionist for the office left. They ripped down any signage that said Regis on it. They put up a bunch of aqueduct signs everywhere. They put an IP phone at the front desk. And when the camera crew came in, uh, they pretended that that was our reception area. They pretended that the conference room that we met in was our private conference room. We got some great photos. We got some stills and they left. And I remember that uh, after they left, we obviously had to put the office back to the way that it was. And I believe uh, one of our guys had used duct tape to put up our signs on the wall. (laughs) And when they took it down, they peeled some of the paint off the wall. And the next morning, we had to explain to the uh, building superintendent um, why there was patchwork required up on that section of the receptionist area. We paid for it, Um, but it's one of those stories that you know, just like you want to talk about with a cash draft. Bootstrapped organization is it's just a fond memory of like the fake it till you make it attitude. You know everybody is in on one boat and the creativity we'd come up with from a team perspective to make that happen. And I think that video is actually still on Cisco's website, um, and we've never told anybody until now. Now we're a much bigger, wider, established organization, and I'm sure some of the individuals that were here and partook in um, trying to figure out how to uh, spackle the wall uh, and actually fix the paint with. Uh, I think an empty uh, paint can they found in the supply closet, which didn't match the color that got us nabbed. Uh, we'll probably laugh about it to this day.
0: That, that's an awesome story. I remember um, I used to work for a vendor and I remember the first time meeting you guys and um, we're out, I was doing cutovers at the time. And I remember your team being so professional and so well-versed on what needed to happen. And that was interesting to me because I hadn't heard of you guys. And when we went through it, it was the most successful cutover I had done, and I was like, "Who are these guys? These people are amazing." Because I was used to dealing with the big behemoths that just threw their weight around and, you know, didn't care whether the customer was satisfied or not. They just like, "This is my job. I need to do. Clunk, I'm done, and they leave." Uh, so, you know, Aqueduct came through, and I, it really made waves. It was really impressive. Oh, thanks, Rick. So, Aqueduct was recently voted the best place to work for the fifth straight year. And that's one of the things I always find amazing about working here is the culture. You know, like you mentioned earlier, ice cream at your house. Um, we have this culture here of watching out for one another, making sure everybody's okay. You know, let's get things done. And we're a lot larger company, but the caring here is very important. It is very unique uh, from here. So, I guess what I'd like to know is, is has that been a culture from the conception, or how do we how does that company culture keep staying? I guess is what I'm looking for.
2: Yeah, it's a good question, Rick. I don't I don't know. If there's a silver bullet for it. What I'd say is, is I don't think culture is something that you define, set, build, and then manage in that way. Um, if I look at the organization, whether it was day one or today. I think there's a common view of what we want to accomplish right we have a very specific commitment that we want to make to our customers we have a very strong commitment we want to make to each other and we have a very strong commitment to our community so i think anyone that comes to work here they're very well aligned to understanding what we're trying to accomplish and that we and then they want to be a part of that so i think right out of the gate we've got aligned goals for people that come to work here um i think we do a lot to ensure that we bring the right energy and the right type of person into the organization as well. You know, we're an organization that wants to be professionally challenged, personally respected that wants to learn that likes to teach that wants to know that their work is having an impact and that they have the ability to do things that are personally rewarding for themselves at work and outside of work. Right? So that's kind of the environment that we've set up and we've brought like minded individuals into that environment. I think a lot of companies set out to do that as well, right? I don't think we're unique to say that, you know, we'd we'd like to work at a place that feels like this or looks like this. I'm not saying all companies do it, but I think that I've talked to many CEOs and they feel that way. I think the difference is that we set our own standard. You know, I think you, you can only have that culture if everybody lives up to that expectation that regardless of what role you have in the company, that you treat others the way that you want to be treated that you have empathy for the situation and circumstances that people are going through, that you can accept failure because we have a lot more successes here. And that we understand when times get tough, what our roles and responsibilities are. And we understand when times are tough for certain individuals here, and maybe we're in an okay spot ourselves individually, we jump in and help each other out. And I think that community feel of this is really what drives this to be a best place to work. I've never viewed it to be the happy hour or a trip or you know um, you know mm-hmm. cool events and stuff we do, I think those are all very much byproducts. Uh, but I, I think it's, it's you have like-minded individuals that feel the way that you feel and come to work every day wanting to make a difference for themselves, for you, and for those around us. And I think that ends up building upon itself year over year. And as you go from five people to over 100 people, that mm. that magnifies, right It's tougher to do as a company grows larger. But if you can do it with the company being that big, you get that much more of a profound impact and you can really start looking at all the amazing things that you guys have done day over day, week over week, and they add up. And I think that's kind of getting, it's getting picked up now from from people rewarding us for it, but the reward is more of just a recognition of what we do. We don't do what we do for the award.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's powerful too, because we just operate at our our day-to-day normal status. And then we find out, you know, you've won the best place to work. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, awesome.
1: Yeah. And I, and I can say, you know, from my perspective, being here for a long time, I bought my first house while working at Aqueduct, had my first kid, my second kid, my third kid. And I know the people that, uh, you know, Beth Duke, who is our director of uh, project management here, was one of the people that, was invited to my wedding. So I think, you know, when you look at it over a long-term perspective and just kind of the culture that has been built here is really more a a personal relationship that you get to know your coworkers and it's not just punch in, punch out every day. Uh, And I've really enjoyed that from my time here. Uh, I would wanna know, Monik, what's your proudest moment uh, as CEO at Acura?
2: That's tough. I find something to be proud about every day, right? Somebody does something that, um, you know, inspires me um, or makes me feel good about, you know, the things that we do. There's been a number of, of ones, right? I mean, I think the awards are good recognition ones. Um, you know, I remember getting our first check. Um, I remember having to call a customer for the first time and ask him to make sure he paid our bill on the first year. Um, you know, I remember, you know, getting sponsorship from people that, you know, we trusted out there to help us get going with our initial business. I remember a lot of those memories. I remember a lot of you guys having your first kid. And you know, my family was relatively young at the same time. You know, I think even till today we've had a couple of babies born this week. And it still feels very much like a community. You know, what's the name? Let me see the pictures. How's mom doing? You know, I, I think those are all things that make me pretty proud, right? This company still feels a lot of the way that it did when we were in our first year. But without a lot of the concerns and the risks that we would have had back then so we've really been able to take all of that great energy all that great effort all that great feeling and grow that with the organization uh, and now we get a lot of accomplishments and 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 recognition for it but i'm proud of the fact that i get to uh, participate in a lot of that And i'm not driving a lot of that you know frankly a lot of people in this organization are really what's driving the culture and the value and the energy level forward i used to be a, a bystander um, kind of get pulled along with it. And that's great. You know, I think the the energy um, that that people do here as self-starters is amazing. And I think that's really what's pretty prideful for me, just to be able to kind of step back and, and really look at, um, you know, the baton being passed and for other individuals carrying the initial vision and now moving the company forward in so many different ways. Yeah, that's, that is amazing. Thanks for sharing that with us,
0: Monique. Um, switching gears, you had mentioned earlier about COVID and the work from home has been a challenge for most businesses what have you done to maintain the energy collaboration and culture this year as everybody went remote you know how's it affected aqueduct
2: yeah that's a good question i think it's affected individuals differently and probably to different levels so i don't think that's a universal um you know question you know what i will tell you is that we have very smart people here. We have very capable people here. And there's never been a concern, um, even before COVID, if, if we work from home, would we be able to get our job done and do it successfully? And frankly, so many of our roles have already been in a hybrid uh, manner, right? There's some individuals that are out of state, primarily working from home. Many of our engineering teams are typically not in the office. They're working with customers. They're working from home. And then even our office, you know, if you look at the amount of headcount we have from an organizational perspective versus who's in the office on a daily basis, probably in and out less than 10% of the organization. So our culture was never really defined by having an in-office experience that went away with COVID. However, we do a lot of learning. We do a lot of teaching. We do a lot of, um, uh, we get a lot of positive energy from each other. And it happens for being in the company of each other. Um, it's, it, we enjoy seeing each other every day. I think in some days you're having a bad day at home, you got into an argument with your kid, your spouse, you get to come to work and you get to have a good day. And I think it's a pleasant environment to be in to some degree. It's a separation from the home work balance. And I know for many people, it's personally rewarding to get in and be with their coworkers. Um, and in some cases, maybe that time's not even during business hours. Maybe it's, you know, catching up for a drink after work or, getting out to see a game or doing something else. So a lot of that's been missed. Um, and the more I talk to people here, I think people are, are are yearning to kind of get back to being able to have that level of intimacy with each other again. Now, I think we've tried to preserve it. I think there's a lot of conversations going on. I think we've um, you know provided a lot of happy hour type of stuff, virtual happy hours. We've tried to do some events. We've tried to get some video collaboration going on between individuals the nature of our business because it's collaborative we do talk to each other a lot but I don't think there's a replacement for the type of family events that we had the level of uh, conversations um you know the fun things that we do in the office and we do some silly things in the office you know we we have the the Maury Povich um you know who, who who can guess um the outcome you know during lunch we we have our FIFA uh tournaments you know we have our our football um, trophies, you know, we have all these fun things that we do in the office that are really just organically created, but have become kind of our tradition. And, you know, I never know what type of a conversation I'm gonna walk into depending on the age group that's in a room, but those are all fun moments, right? And and I think those are the things that, you know, I would chuckle about on my drive home from work, you know, something funny that somebody did or having to explain to one of our, I don't even think they're millennials now, it's whatever, younger than millennial what a, a mm. photocopy machine is. Or that, you know, a fax may be coming and what does that mean? So, you know, those those are like the pleasant little memories that I have. Um, you know, sometimes our kids would be in the office. You know, my my son telling me that he found a candy stash and the knock <laughs> makes me laugh still to this day. So there's things like that. I don't think there's a way to replace them. And I think um I think we're getting by. I think we've always had this team mentality and our work lends well to that matter. But um, I don't think there's a replacement for our ability to get back to pre-COVID. And I think many of us are looking forward to getting back to some element of that. I don't think we're going to go back to 100% the way it was before. I think there'll be a combination of the of the best of both worlds, the in-office experience and the work-from-home experience. But I think mostly the experiences we create are with each other. And when we can't be with each other, it's hard to have those experiences. And I think that's a lot of what I'm missing. And I know a lot of other people in this company are missing as well. We have a lot of employees that i've never met right i mean we've been hiring a ton still right we're still in fast growth mode and you know i've met people on the phone i've had video calls but i haven't been able to shake some people's hands and welcome to the team and, and thank them for taking a uh, a shot with us and that you know this is going to be personally and professionally rewarding for them so there's a lot of little things that you know start adding up and and so are, you know i would say it's challenging i think we're getting by i think we're doing a good job of it but uh, I'd prefer we weren't in this scenario. I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: I think with that plug for Maury, the marketing team is going to have to work on getting us some tickets to a, a live showing at some point for uh, for the next time we can we can all get together. Um, pivoting to our next section uh, where we talk about it, uh, we have a section of this podcast that we like to take interesting questions from our listeners, talk about the things that are uh, important to them from an IT perspective and, and answer their questions. And we do it all over tacos. So the question of the day is how do you prefer your tacos?
2: So this is the question of the day. Uh, what tacos, um, are top of mind for me.
1: That was Rick's number one question.
2: Got it. All right. Uh, well the audience is really requesting this information. So I will tell you that I love an authentic taco. Um, you know, a nice corn tortilla, fresh ingredients, um, chicken, a lot of spices. I like the authentic sour cream. I like the Mexican cheese, Um, But those are very hard to find. It's very hard to find an authentic uh, Mexican taco. I know there's a couple of uh, places around Massachusetts that really focus on there. And our organization does have a local taco connoisseur who, um, depending on the town that we're in, we can always text and ask him where to go to get an authentic taco. Uh, With that said, um, if I am really, really in the mood for a taco, and probably if I'm in with my children and just have to have one, Our go-to had been going to Taco Bell and getting a Doritos Locos Taco. Um, I don't know if you're aware of these, but effectively they partnered with Doritos and they were taking Dorito chips and making it into hard shells and then putting all the fixings inside. So our personal, at least my personal favorite one, was the Cool Ranch Chicken Supreme which unfortunately Taco Bell is now removed from the menu. And it's been a heavy disappointment um, to see that no longer be a staple of their menu. And if anybody from Taco Bell is listening, please find a way to restore it on the menu. Or if there is a top secret hidden menu at Taco Bell that I need to say to order it, please let us know at Aqueduct Technologies, and I will be sure to um, become a household favorite again for my children.
1: <laughs> well, ho- hopefully that works. And I know we're, we're talking about Matt, our, our taco expert. And I will say for his birthday one year, uh, I bought him a tortilla warming, like toaster oven kind of appliance, which... When I first saw it, I was thinking in my mind, no one would ever buy this. This is something that no one would ever have use for. And then I was like, you know what? Matt would love this. So I ended up buying it and sending it to him. And he sends pictures of uh, this tortilla warming machine thing that he now has in his house and uses it on on probably a weekly basis.
2: That does not surprise me, and I would always think that Taco Tuesday for Matt was the only day of the week that he didn't eat tacos. He actually had tacos six out of seven days a week, so that is probably (laughs) a great present for him
1: uh it, it was good and i i do know when we had projects around the state he would always make sure we stopped for tacos so um we'll be discussing on this session some of our favorites and and we'll get into those as we answer everybody's questions so monic thank you so much for joining us i think we can wrap there appreciate uh, not only your input on today's podcast, but your leadership, uh, for Aqueduct, uh, as well as continuing to fund this podcast. We, we, we truly appreciate it. And, um, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you, Rob, that, that was awesome. Um, uh man, the, I'm so glad he got into the positive energy because that's really what drives this organization. And I love being part of the uh, learning and teaching what we try to do every day with our customers um, and then with each other. It's just, I'm so excited. That was a great, great interview.
1: Yeah, very excited. I think we're going to have to match that energy and, and bring just as good of an episode, which I think we do for next Episode, episode two. We're going to be talking about industry trends with uh, the one and only your boss, Rick.
0: Yep, Mr. Mike Samaska, our CTO. Um, and don't forget to send in those questions for our Taco About It because I do love tacos. Um, so send the questions to marketing at aqueducttech.com. And, uh, you know, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. So thanks for joining Quality Time with Rick
1: and Rob. Thank you.